a story which started on the streets of Belfast, coming to the attention of the world, including the great Houdini and Arthur Cohn Doyle. In this episode, we're going to look into the Gallagher Circle and their scandalous seances. Hi folks, Future Oshin here. Just a quick note to thank you for your support so far and to let you know that we have launched a Patreon for this podcast. On the Patreon, we'll be posting more detailed show notes and we'll also be publishing extra episodes as well. If you head over there right now, you can listen to an extra episode all about Thomas Marr, who was a man who led a rebellion in Ireland, then ended up in Australia before making his way over to fight in the American Civil War. So be sure to check it out and we've plenty more content where that came from. You can check us out over at patreon.com forward slash out of Ireland. If you prefer to support the podcast in a once-off fashion, you can also buy us a virtual coffee over at buymeacoffee.com forward slash out of Ireland. If you'd like to support us in a different way, then simply leave us a review on your podcast app. Reviews are a great way to help our podcast to grow. That's it from future me. This week, we're jumping straight into the episode. So I'll hand it over to, well, me again, just in the past. Thanks, and I hope you enjoy this episode. It's definitely one of our favourites. Today we're going to talk about Kathleen Gallagher, but it's an awkward one because it's spelled G-O-L-I-G-H-E-R. So I think we're all pronouncing it a bit differently, but um, we, we kind of think it might be Gallagher, but just an anglicization of it, so who knows. we got to set the scene here. Early 1900s, we're in Northern Ireland. The Victorian era, which is around the 1850s, is when spiritualism was hugely popular. So you would have seen it in movies like of the feckin' prestige or whatever, but like it's a very common trope. And it, the reason is because it was just huge. It was maybe some people were kind of leaving um, religion behind and they were believing in this spiritualism stuff. And especially in the next couple of years after World War One, there was a lot of people who lost, like millions of people died. And some kind of turned to spiritualism as a way to try and grieve and to communicate with their with their loved ones. This kind of, this interest in the paranormal took loads of forms in the 1900s. So there was mesmerism, clairvoyance, electrobiology, crystal gazing, thought reading, but above all else was spiritualism, which was kind of the ability to speak to the dead. And it was usually women and, and women from poor backgrounds were, were usually involved in this type of thing. Men and boys didn't after all their, they had prospects in normal society while women were seen as kind of second class and they didn't really have the possibility of getting their own jobs and having um, a say or having control. Yeah, one source one source I came across said women at the time had very few options and mainly breeding. And I was like, I don't think you can say breeding for like oh, a human. Yeah, I thought that was a really kind of nasty, na- nasty source. Yeah, it, it gave them agency or influence and kind of a social power over people that would have been traditionally seen as kind of above them or as a social class above them. Yeah, it's interesting. It's like kind of your only way out. Kind of like how rapping was in the 1980s in Harlem. (laughs) That's a hell of a link. (laughs) That is a hell of a link. You're comparing like poor Belfast working class like uh, seances to Biggie. Yeah. Uh, okay. Biggie was where? Wait, where did you say? Did you say New York? I think or? he said Harlem. Did you say oh, Harlem? Oh, Harlem. Okay, sorry. Yeah, yeah. Well, I don't know if Biggie was Harlem now. I've known nothing about New York, but I know it's East Coast at least. Yeah. Yeah. Brooklyn, uh, right city. That's, yeah, yeah. Biggie Same fans, area. let us know because we're very white. <laughs> <laughs> but if Biggie had any Irish connection, let us know. We can do an episode on him. <laughs> you know, we could just if if since we're doing you know this woman Kathleen. We could, and, She's not really out of Ireland. We can just pick anyone nowadays. We haven't explained that, actually. Yeah, do we need to address the fact that she's not... Her fame 
was worldwide so her fame went out of ireland yeah like so again we're, we're going a bit over the place here but like kathleen uh, Gulliher was born into a family of clairvoyance so even when she was born they already had a little bit of prominence at the time and from the sources i was reading it basically said that you would have been hard pressed not to find a newspaper in ireland or the united kingdom that didn't at least reference them because they were so sensationalized at the time so much so we'll get into it later but so much so that houdini had to like send people over to be like are these guys legit houdini was the james randy of the time the guy who had to disprove any paranormal stuff he's a ghostbuster no he's a ghostbuster buster no, he, he was busting ghosts. Oh, right. I see what you did there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's because that's what he did. He'd, he'd try to yeah. dispatch people all over the world to try, you know, this guy thinks he can bend spoons. Oh, we'll sort him out. We'll test him out. We'll, we'll provide our yeah. own spoons. Um, it is interesting in Northern Ireland, in particular, how it was divided in religious terms as well. It was very much the Protestant side of Northern Ireland that really took on spiritualism and seances more than the Catholic side because of all the varying degrees of churches in Northern Ireland, the different like churches would have different says, whereas the Catholic church came out, they would have letters, open letters in newspapers from bishops saying, this is a abomination. This is for the devil. Like don't do it. It was a very strong response by the one Catholic church. Oh, okay. Whereas in the North, you might have all different brands of Protestantism. Kathleen's family were Presbyterian, but it was just before she was born, her mother pushed them towards spiritualism. So it was kind of a joint venture. <laughs> Yeah, they reckon she was born into it. So this was kind of how she was raised. So even though Presbyterians would have been one of the more strict kind of Protestant religions, it's quite odd that they would have gone this way. But it did seem to be quite prominent in the Presbyterian community. A lot and of a like big thing, spiritualists, what do you mean? Yeah, a lot of spiritualists. So if you look into a lot of the spiritualists, like all around the UK and in Ireland, the Presbyterians seem to have had a lot of people involved in it. But the Presbyterians also really value interacting with the bible and finding your way to god yourself so it's it's so strange yeah so that's kind of part of it that the catholic community would have always gone through the church and would have got their learnings through the church yeah whereas protestant communities are taught are taught um okay go to the bible read it read into it yourself and make your own connection that's kind of the, one of the basic tenets of protestantism yeah that's interesting so, sorry. yeah so the spiritualism kind of fits in with that so you, you could almost say, oh, well, we, this, it doesn't go contrary to their religion, that it kind of can come seamlessly in, almost. And again, it was also something that was quite sexy at the time, like across America and Europe, kind of the way the witch burnings were with, the, well, not witch burnings, but the witch killings were. Like, it, it had kind of swept the national zeitgeist, I guess, or it just, it was, this is kind of around the era where those famous pictures of those girls with fairies came out over in England, and everyone was like, oh my God, they're real fairies. But it was staged pictures that people were perpetuating um, to show paranormal events and the whole world would take like and they'd be absolute bullshit by now in today's standard we look at the photos and we're like oh yeah it's a doll but back then these things were quite shocking well photography was still quite new then so there was like long exposures and those kind of things would have been just seemed like magic you know like yeah, yeah. we we know that you can do a 30 second long photo and you can walk through it really slowly and that leaves a ghostly image but they didn't know that they would just see a ghost in the background or or uh, you shine a light at the lens and it would look like something different. Or in Kathleen's case, <laughs> well, you know, I won't even get into that, but I'll, let's let's kind of talk a little bit about what Kathleen <laughs> did. Because it's really funny now, looking back at it with a present tense lens, because it's so bullshittily bullshit. It's so naive. It's <laughs> so naive. And yeah. like, but this thing was massive. Should we set out that we should tell everyone that we don't believe in this thing or? <laughs> no, 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 that's... Well, 
Let's come to our <laughs> conclusions at the end. Of this. <laughs> Did you not see the ectoplasm there? She's got. <laughs> Before we move on, we'll just build up the picture for Kathleen's family. Uh, she was born in Belfast to a poor family who, by the looks of it, were moving around quite a lot. Uh, there was four daughters, a son, and Kathleen was the youngest. The four daughters were known to be spiritualists or they, that they were claiming to be spiritualists. But Kathleen was the, the strongest or she had the strongest link towards the afterlife and the spirits and the, the whole family. So the father, the son and the four daughters. Holy made, Ghost. And the Holy Ghost. It's worse than having 20 years yeah. of fucking mass. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the daughter, the son and the father. <laughs> Satanist. <laughs> four daughters. So Kathleen, Kathleen, along with her sisters, her brother and her dad, made up what was known as the Gollaher Circle, which just sounds kind of creepy. Well, yeah, it was like a family of clairvoyants who kind of would, um, the way it would work is kind of they'd, they'd welcome people over to their house. You'd be in a dimly lit room in the sitting room. And then out of the darkness, you'd see either things start to levitate or you'd see ectoplasm eking out of Kathleen. Um, and this ectoplasm apparently was like sentient, it had like a suction cup at the tip and it could pick up things. And like, it was just, you'd, you'd see all of these sort of things. And I, I don't really know how this ties into them talking to dead people, but that was kind of her that was what she did and that's why they went over to that house to see it and one of the things that kind of gave them a little bit of clout or gave it a bit of like oh these guys must be was that they didn't charge anyone in so they didn't mm. charge to show their their yeah. shows which, which was weird because they came from a poor background so you would have thought this was a bit of a money-making scam at this time mediums were known to produce ectoplasm so it would come from various orifices so it would come out the mouth or the eyes so if you think of the exorcist like she pukes fucking green vomit everywhere and it's manky looking so Kathleen's ectoplasm party piece was that it came out of her vagina. It originated in her womb. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the reports in the time all say the womb. They all actively avoid being like, came out of her vag. Yeah. It's all. <laughs> <laughs> but like, so a bunch of strangers would sit in their house. Um, her parents would sit her down in a chair and the lights would be dimmed and a couple of buckets would start floating. But it's also say it's red light. It was kind of a red, a dim red light. Okay, that just Ooh. makes it sound much more seedy. Yeah. <laughs> and she seedy. was, sorry, just to reiterate, yeah. she was probably about 16 or 17 at this time. Yeah, it's just uncomfortable, isn't it? 16, 17-year-old sitting in her little red light district, pulling ectoplasm out of her hoop. <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> This is real. She was talking to the dead. But <laughs> Oh, God, it's so funny. But then, like, what I kind of read was that the ectoplasm would come out and then it would kind of suction items and cause them to float as well. So but, she could make buckets float around the room or something. And like, and people were like, they were just, they'd go to these things and they were shocked. Like it was yes. a real big deal. So in some cases, the ectoplasm or people would say it was kind of like a cloud type form. But um, yeah, another word I found for the ectoplasm was, was it like an energy rod? Yeah, no, plasmic rods. Ooh. I just thought that was brilliant. And the plasmic rod would flow out under her feet. And there's actually pictures about this. We're literally going to post pictures on our social media handles of Kathleen and her Kathleen and her cosmic rod. That's such a great <laughs> name for a band. Such a great name for a band. I was like, I was waiting for it. I was like, how soon is Oshin going to say this is a great name for a band? You know, we're nearly at the level where we can have like bingo, uh, out of Ireland bingo. When is Oshin going to say, is it going to be a band name? <laughs> oh, can it be a drinking game? So anytime Oshin says, this would be a good band name, take a drink. <laughs> I'm sorry, but Kathleen and her Cosmic Rod, I think that's the best band name I've ever thought of in my entire life. <laughs> that sounds like a 70s porno spaced in space. <laughs> yeah, I'm okay with that, though. 
<laughs> Plasmic but, Rod does sound like a really creepy dude. <laughs> hey, this is Plasmic Rod here, coming to you on 97FM. <laughs> Plasmic Rod. <laughs> but yeah, she could levitate items, including musical instruments and tables. So she was pretty... Uh... Again, I still don't really understand how this... I, I guess this wasn't really speaking to the dead, I guess. I don't really know. There's one case where there's a man levitating as well, actually, I saw. <laughs> um, come here. When she was pulling ectoplasm out of her, uh, were people able to like, <laughs> s- like how how disguised was it? Like, was it under a table and it was coming? No, like- well, the the way it kind of went is the they encouraged the participants. So anyone sitting in the room, they were encouraged to keep their eyes closed. Oh my god, like it just gets so much more obvious, and obvious. <laughs> and then this would allow them to reach the ectoplasm could reach out and touch people with ghostly hands. Sit in a dark room and close your eyes, and you'll see all sorts of crazy shit. I've done that before, but. <laughs> yeah. a few more drugs than she was taking but who knows <laughs> there was also other cases that they were trying to talk to the dead so they what's it called rapping biggie <laughs> i was very i was very confused when i saw this the dead were rapping i was like what yeah i'm so assuming they, it's knocking yeah no yeah. no so yeah what it was they were what was called rapping was they would say the alphabet so a b c d and then when something knocked on the table that's when they would stop and say that okay that's a c and then they go through it again and then it would spell out something like a ouija board i guess exactly yeah, I yeah, know, yeah the predecessor yeah. a predecessor i don't know if ouija boards were around back then but a predecessor to it maybe yeah yeah if you didn't have a, a board <laughs> you Jeez. just do this fucking zed to take ages <laughs> <laughs> that was I, I, that was her main thing so that was the one that came up the most okay so that was her communicating to the dead mm-hmm Okay. So she wrapped and the ectoplasm came out between her legs and poured out into the ground. And like, we will be putting pictures up to show this. It's fascinating. Because the second you see the picture, you'll be like, you'll know exactly what it is. But I guess at the time, well, it should be noted that these pictures came out because the people came to prove her claim. So whereas their situation where they did it in a dark room with the eyes closed, suddenly you have a massive feckin' Victorian era camera, which is probably the size of a bus, with a big flash. So... These pictures look ridiculously fake, but it's probably because the illusion was totally ruined by the, the brightness of the image. Oh, yeah. So this the this website I found called occultworld.com uh, claims that a lot of the photos were staged to be not shown as evidence, but to be shown like this is like a re- recreation. Yeah. You know, like this is what it would have been like. The research for this one brought me to some weird websites. <laughs> it yeah. was so funny. It was you're going from like... It definitely wasn't real. And then to others saying it was just, they're just putting it against it. They're looking at all the bad things, but look at all the good things. Like they yeah. couldn't yeah. prove that this didn't happen. And it was it's like, a, it's no. amazing a hundred years later and the occult world is still protecting these people so much. So the Gollinger Circle had a lot of notoriety around Northern Ireland at this time. But as more questions were raised as to the legitimacy of this family, this is where we introduced kind of a pretty well-known character that played a little bit of a part in this. And you might know him and it's a very famous Harry, but it's not Harry Potter. Harry Houdini. I was going to start with the joke there of his name escaping me, but oh, that's <laughs> that. Uh, yeah. Okay. No, and it's a very famous Harry. Does anyone know who yeah. I'm talking about? Oh, his um, his name's escaping me right now. Are you just going to leave that whole segment in where you show the building yeah. of the yeah, joke? Yeah. <laughs> Every sentence Connor says. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So Houdini was mostly known for his escaping. Like he was Harry Handcuff Houdini was his first kind of when he started getting into the. Um, escaping kind of show. Bondage scene. The bondage scene. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, I actually didn't know much about him at all other than, you know, if like you're able to get out of a room when you're a kid, 
And someone goes, oh, you're a little Houdini. No, he was Ukrainian, wasn't he? Where was he from? Some weird country. It's Hungarian. Some oh, weird country. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> we don't have many downloads in either. Well, <laughs> <country. laughs> oh, now yeah. we won't. Yeah. We're okay. I'm sorry to our Hungarian fan base, which there's, there's minus one of you. I'm very sorry. <laughs> you know, people always ask Houdini, but maybe they should be asking why Dini. Houdini. 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 <laughs> well, she's response is brilliant there. That was perfect. <laughs> That just shot you down. <laughs> Houdini started doing these escapes, so he'd get out of handcuffs, and then he figured out kind of how to get out of different situations. So one of the things he would do when he joined this vaudeville kind of circus was that he would get local police to lock him up, and then he would escape. So out of a prison van or out of the prison itself. And that's how they spread the word of their show being in town, and this got him, you know, huge name recognition all over the world. And it was actually in London... Um, when he kind of hit the stratosphere and went worldwide and his salary was about $300 a week when he was there, which is about like nine grand a week. It's it's funny when you compare it against the likes of David Blaine or whatever. It's a hundred years later, but it's the same sort of stuff. Like he'd mm. go and complete challenges in different countries and these challenges would kind of bring him more audience and more kind of, wow, that guy's fucking hot shit. Yeah, so then when he had his show, so he was doing shows in London, he was doing one every night and this was earned him so much money and... One of the big things about Houdini is he really, really loved his mom. And he actually bought her a dress that was made for Queen Victoria. And he said the day he gave it to her was the happiest day of his life. Aww. Which I'm sure his wife was delighted about. Oh, also, by the way, just, just as a random segue, Queen Victoria was a big fan of the paranormal. And she went to a lot of seances as well. Nothing to do with who we're talking about today, but just to show that even the leader of the country, the head of the country, like the paranormal interest was there from the top down. Hell of the world. How dare you? The empire. <laughs> Do you know about do you know about the statue of Queen Victoria that used to no, used to be in front of Leinster House? Yeah, my dad has a photo of that like in Trinity, I think it is, and it's just lying down. Like they t- took it down, they they oh, just really? put it on the ground. Yeah, do you know what they did with it? They gave it to Australia for its hundredth year anniversary. Yeah, they country. deported Queen Victoria, the famine queen. They deported her to Australia. <laughs> so like an Ireland free cycle group on Facebook. Like, who wants the statue? Yeah, we do not want this. We do not want this free to anywhere. Anywhere. Yeah. We up, have one we have one monarch. We still have one monarch, I think, do we? Or is he, is he gone? I'm pretty sure we've one monarch left in Dublin City. I think statue. it's in Leinster House. A statue, yeah, a statue of a monarch. Because oh. we tore them all down when we got independence and stuff, and over the years we got rid of them. I'm pretty sure we've one left. Hello. Now we digress. Yeah. So the amount of love Houdini had for his mom was really important later on. After she passed away, he started to look towards seances and he claimed himself that he wasn't actually anti-seance. He wasn't trying to prove that this afterlife link didn't exist. He said that he wanted it to exist so that he could speak so to his mom. Yeah. So it's quite, it's kind of a nice story. How much of that was just showbiz and how much of that was actually genuine. It's hard to say. But, but it's as a result of this, um, he became quite a famous debunker. So Houdini, though he used to take part in all of these escapes and these really famous escapes, he actually became very well known in this community as someone who would the leading expert on whether someone is legit or not. So he people would send him letters going, I know there's clairvoyance here. And he would either dispatch people to check them out or he'd go and check them out himself. He could make a decision as to whether they're the real thing or whether they're full of shit, yeah. which was most people at this time. Yeah. were just kind of trying to, to make a quick book, I guess. And the cool thing is because he was such a talented magician and uh, performer, he kind of knew all the tricks of the trade and he was able to actually spot things that, you know, regular people like me and you wouldn't be able to, like, sleights of hand or, you know, techniques that they were using. 
like the FBI, do you know do they they hire like the best criminals that they've been chasing for years about like bank fraud or whatever? Mm. Yeah, yeah. It's like a catch me if you can. Your man Pretty Frank. much. Houdini's debunking junkets basically would take him all around the world. So as he traveled the world with his escaping acts, he would also uh, travel and debunk things. And he got so famous for this that he actually had to go in disguise to seances. And he used to go, a lot of the time, he used to go to these seances with a reporter and a policeman because he wanted the people to be arrested for fraud as well because he used to be so angry at them. But the way he used to travel a lot was like companies, like breweries would invite him to the brewery and, you know, lock him in a keg of beer and he'd have to escape from it. So it was kind of a, it was a way companies could promote their brand by hiring him in. Do you guys think it was PR waffle? Do you think like say, or do you think he actually escaped? Because that's one thing I don't really know. Was he actually escaping from these places, or was this something that was set up that didn't actually happen? He pro- he could have brought his own keg. Like I mean, it is just about <laughs> yeah. bringing like Harry Houdini to the yeah. It's yeah. it's the PR push as opposed to the actual. Well, I mean, maybe he did. Well, there was a case yeah. in Cologne in Germany where he escaped from the police station there, and a police officer said that Houdini had bribed policemen to get out, but then Houdini went back and uh, sued the police officer, and he said. To the judge says like i am i can escape from anything i can pick any lock and the judge was like i've got a safe in here come open my safe you definitely can't get it and he opens it up immediately and the judge <laughs> was like yeah obviously he's magic and he can escape from anything and then houdini later on wrote in a letter that the judge hadn't locked the safe <laughs> <laughs> i think uh i think houdini and billy the kid would have been good friends yeah actually that's very true um but chancers that's all absolute <laughs> chancers but one of the companies that decided they wanted Houdini to come was Harland and Wolf, who are the shipbuilders in Belfast who built the Titanic. And what they did was they built this wooden crate that was built out of the same wood as the Titanic was. So this was in the 1920s, 1920, I think. 19- this crate is unsinkable. <laughs> well, no, so the, the Titanic <laughs> wasn't made out of wood. I don't know. There was wood on the Titanic. Yeah, it was from the beams they were using the Titanic. The same uh, okay, yeah. Structural beams, I guess. But anyway, it was a, yeah, really well-built thing. What they did was they put him in this box, sealed him in, and dropped it into the bay. And he struggled for a bit, and he got out in a few minutes. And apparently he came out, and there's a big flounder and a fluster. And it's like, oh, you know, he always does this. He always makes it look like he just got through with his mm. life. But later on in life, he said to his wife that that was the hardest thing he ever did. Sorry, this is a bit of a tangent, but do you know how he died? Weird one. Someone punched him or something. Yeah, yeah. Basically, like, Houdini had a thing where he was like, anyone can punch me in the stomach and I can eat the punch, essentially, which, you know, it doesn't affect him at all. So I think he was like, after a show in his dressing room, some guy ran in and was like, hey, I heard you can do the stomach thing or whatever. And without giving him a chance to prepare or to tense his muscles or anything, this guy basically punched him three times in the stomach uh, and ruptured his appendix. And then he died. And the kind of story goes, or the the myth behind this goes, that like this guy might have been related to the spiritualist community, who Houdini had been debunking for years. So this was actually kind of a vendetta thing where they were trying to take him out because he was giving the paranormal and the spiritualist community a bad name. Yeah, he was giving the spiritualist community such a bad name, especially after he published a book, which was called A Magician Among the Spirits, which is just a great name for a book by Houdini. But the publishing of this book led to a fallout between him and one of his friends who was Sir Arthur Conan Doyle obviously the writer of Sherlock Holmes yeah because Doyle was a very he supported spiritualism isn't he or he believed in it or what yeah, was the yeah really big spiritualist um and he actually came out afterwards after the fact and he 
you was discussing it and he went on to believe that Houdini wasn't actually a magician, but he was actually just the best medium ever. And he, when he was around other mediums who had been proven to be mediums that are spiritualists, he had used his superior power to block their powers. And that's why it never worked around him. <laughs> Imagine how pissed <laughs> off he'd be. Like he probably practiced for years how to pick locks and how to do all this bit. And then it was like, nah, you're just born with it. Just magic. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Pure magic. I want to talk about his wife. So him and his wife had a plan that when he died, he would use the code uh, Rosabelle Believe, which was apparently a reference to a song, and that he would come back to her in a seance and say the code Rosabelle Believe so that she would know that the seance worked and was real. Wow. That that kind of makes you think that he kind of believed it, but was just like, nah, it's crap. But, but if not, if it is real, I just want to just cover all bases here. <laughs> it seemed like he really wanted it to be true. So he really wanted that if he died, that his wife could go to a seance and she would go to a seance every year for 10 years after he died and no person ever came out with the code words that he had said. And now magician groups all over the States and all over the world probably still do annual seances on his birthday. Like Stephen uh, Hawking's did the Time Travelers Party. Do you remember that? Oh, yeah. yeah like, what was it? A party for time travelers sometime? I don't even know when he died at this stage, but maybe 2014 where he was like, if there are time travelers, they'll know to meet at this exact moment where there'll be cake and alcohol and nobody should mm -hmm. know. Yeah, <laughs> and he sent out the invitations a week later. <laughs> so he had the party with nobody and then a week later he sent out the invitations because like, oh, time travelers will come <laughs> that's pretty much all I have on uh, Houdini well it's not all I have on Houdini but I think that's all we have time for well, well Houdini to try and link it up with Kathleen like he became kind of the head honcho when it came to the debunking community so if he heard about somebody around the world who was doing this sort of stuff he would dispatch someone to go on his behalf and investigate it and then write back to him and let him know what was happening that was the case with the Gallagher family as well. He sent, he decided to dispatch someone to check out the family and see were they legit or not. Yeah, and actually I found conflicting reports on whether Houdini dispatched William Jackson Crawford or if he was there by himself. I'm not really certain, but the long and the short of it is that William Jackson Crawford, who was from New Zealand, he was a lecturer or a professor in Queen's University and he then spent, was it six years with the Gallagher's, the Gallagher's. Six years. Yeah, we need he to say, was... give his full title of Dr. Crawford. Oh, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> we just have to remember that he was, you know, well, a really, really well educated man. Yeah, like... he had two books published that were used in, in schools all the time. And yeah, he, yeah, very well educated, smart man. I have a theory on this, but I'll get to it at the end. But go on, Connor, sorry. Yeah, no, it's just that he spent six years with them doing all of his experiments and he was completely taken in. Apparently at the start of his experiments, he was not, he was skeptical. It was 1914 when Crawford or Dr. Crawford joined the Gallagher family. Uh, and he wanted to just observe and see what was happening. And, th and they accepted it. It took them a while, but he persuaded them and he was able to study what was happening. And to help with his persuasion, he also offered them a lot of money. So whenever, even though the family said they weren't getting like donations or money paid, they when people came to study them, they were also paying them money as well. So just a point that I think should be noted. The way it worked with Crawford and, and the Gallagher family was that they would do their readings or they would try and talk to the dead. He would have free reign. He was able to walk around and he would able to take photos of the whole thing. It, he claims that he saw a levitating trumpet 
uh, which there is a photo of, which we'll we'll put out. Um, that one uh, blew his mind. <laughs> there was leveling table, and then there was also just trance vo- voices and and I'm Kathleen going into kind of a whole trance and and just talking to the dead. Just as a point, we mentioned that there's the family involved. There's also Kathleen. Kathleen was known as like the most powerful of them, so she very quickly gained the reputation. So this is kind of part of my my theory about how Crawford came along and suddenly said, so this academic came along and suddenly said, oh, wow, I believe everything, yeah. which gave them a lot more clout, I guess, does. She was only 17 at the time, though. So if that's the theory you're going with, is it? Is that what I you're think he, oh, yeah, yeah. But this is 100 years ago. I think he fancied her. Yeah, I think he was 17 mm-hmm. years older than her or something. So, yeah, maybe. That's, yeah, for 100 years. Yeah. 100 years ago, that's not that bad. Yeah, true. <laughs> she was actually like a, a widow at that stage. She was way too old. <laughs> Oh God! <laughs> let's, let's cut that. Crawford, Crawford differed to others that were trying to look at these type of things scientifically. So one of the things he was trying to do was he was trying to measure the 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 weight of Catelyn when 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 a table was levitating, and he found that her weight would increase when the table was up. So it was as if she was taking part of the weight of the table. As though she was lifting it. I know. But yeah, so she he put her on a big scale and put the chair on a big scale. She'd sit on it and weigh her. And then during the whole crap of her lifting a table with her foot, um, her weight would go up and the, the weight of the table would go down. That's what Jesus, that, guys, that's how scientific it was. A hundred years ago, we would have all been Einstein. Like, like it's so ridiculous, this stuff. But the thing, it wasn't just him. It, there was another guy called Barrett who also said, he saw the table levitating and he said he put force on it, tried to put it on the floor. He couldn't. He put all his strength into it, wouldn't go back, wouldn't budge. I mean, her foot was probably just under the, under the table. Yeah, she just, <laughs> just a tear coming out of her eye as it, the table like was digging into the top of her foot. Now, he did say 18 inches. It was above the ground by 18 inches, oh. but I don't know. Like, I mean, Is that about knee height if you're sitting down? Strong yeah, knees. probably, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you just pop the table leg up onto your knee. I can't push it down. What I have here is that he photographed this like uh, psychic stuff, he called it. But then in June 1920, he saw it and felt it wriggling up the medium's legs like a snake. Oh, is this the ectoplasm? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or the cosmic rod. All right, before I move on, move away from Barrett. He, so he said that he, he jumped on the table, tried to push down a wooden. And then as soon as the kind of the whole thing ended, the table slowly went down and he wasn't able to then lift it up and it, they were saying it was as if they were just laughing at him the spirits were laughing at him someone's laughing at him <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> maybe he did have future sight and he was hearing people in the future making fun of him <laughs> there was another guy professor william croaks and uh, this was in 1871 he was at a sitting and he said that there was this guy called frank hearn who was carried out of his chair floated across the room and then dropped off the other end of the room the fuck were they smoking yeah Mm. <laughs> opium den or something jesus yeah yeah maybe that one was real i don't know that's a hard one to disprove or else it's just all fake and they're just making it up to make a bit of money i think what you could say is that crawford came along to um to debunker and he actually ended up legitimizing the family a lot mm. so this is kind of where they shot to like international fame i guess yeah they Out got worldwide ireland. yeah worldwide <laughs> <laughs> out of ireland <laughs> podcast fame <laughs> <laughs> As we said earlier, Crawford ended up spending six years with them and he wrote, ended up writing three books about how genuine Kathleen's power and the family's power was uh, to the to the spirit world and the, how, how strong their link was. 
Yeah. But um, I don't know if we ever, I'm pretty sure, yeah, we, we've definitely covered it, but like, just to remember, like, she would literally sit in a dark room and she would, somebody would be pulling cloth out of her legs and it was like muslin cloth or whatever. And there was all sorts, like, it was very, very obviously, looking back now, fake. I mean, did you see the photo? It was as if she had like a cloth running down the inside yeah, of yeah. her um, of her tights or whatever. And it was just like, that is the most <laughs> obvious thing. And that they'd be pulling the whole thing down. Is that the deal? Yeah. We have one photo apparently that debunks the whole thing. Like they literally caught it in camera. The 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 string. Or you can see the pulled. string. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's a strange one. So Crawford was with the Gallagher Circle um, between 1914 and 1920, as we said, and he suddenly stopped doing his experiments on account of his death. He poisoned himself in 1920. Now, it was very sudden, very abrupt, and there are suspicions that he realized he had been duped and that he took his own life because he realized that he had kind of staked his academic merit on these books. Because this got him famous as well. Yeah, because he'd been, he'd been praising and kind of talking about the Kathleen and her family. And this was also bringing them a lot of attention. And yeah, he realized that, oh, fuck, six years of my life for nada. Yeah. And for me, it's kind of, there's, he left a note <laughs> He left it like a, a suicide note saying that his action had nothing to do with his psychic work, which he believed was well enough to stand. So it's almost like it protesting too much, really, isn't it? Thou doth protest it too much. Methinks the lady doth protest too much. Is that the no one you're going for? I have no idea. <laughs> um, but but yeah, it gets weirder, doesn't it? It does. It gets, yeah, a good bit weirder. Actually, just to bring up occultworld.com, they claim <laughs> that uh, mediums can often lose their skill as they get older. And it's interesting that around 1920 is when they started charging for seances. So occultworld.com had an exclusive theory. Um, in that nobody else in the world shares this theory that they, the psychics, they were actually losing their powers and they actually started faking it. So the only reason that Crawford saw the fake things happen is because they were actually faking them now, um, but before they were real. But when later on in life, they, they got fake. The 99 money. other sources don't say that. No, no. Okay, good to all. know, good to know. <laughs> he was under a lot of pressure. That's kind of all I have, really. But I guess by Crawford elevating them, it actually was very beneficial for them at the time as well. So they're being studied. They're so amazingly clairvoyant or whatever the word is. But like, so it obviously put them on the map and they were being in the newspapers. Well, what I read, they were all over the newspapers in Ireland and England. So maybe even further. He did do a weird thing just before he died. It's not the first thing I think of doing. Oh, yeah. <laughs> this makes no sense. No, no. So he seemed to have a bit of a fetish with underwear. And he bought his entire family enough underwear to last them years after his death. Yeah, like he spent all his money. Like he left no money to them. He just left loads of knickers. Was it a sexual fetish for underwear? Or was it just like, I need them to be clean? So <laughs> this is why I think it might, it could hint a little bit towards the fact that he fancied Kathleen. Um, that he was so into her pulling this material out of her downstairs that he was kind of like, oh yeah, yeah, keep doing that. Because it was basically like knickers. I think that is an absolute ridiculous stretch. Did you read that in occultworld.com? Sponsors <laughs> of this episode. That chance. is such a stretch. <laughs> it's a bit of a stretch. But so is saying material coming out of your fanny is a ghost. Yeah, true. Whatever. But the thing is, people believed it. People saw it and they believed it. Again, in a dark, if the room is dark enough, any material coming out of a fanny could be a ghost. 
<laughs> As my mother always says. How did I say that sentence loud? How did I, what did I do in my life that meant at 30 years old, I actually literally spoke that sentence aloud? <laughs> <laughs> oh, Jesus. Okay. Oh. One would say that's the end of the Gallagher family, but it actually, people wanted to know if this was legit, if this wasn't. This is the point where our expert number two comes in. And this expert was, I guess he was dispatched by Houdini or Houdini was watching this person investigated the family and then he wrote straight back to Houdini to report on what he saw. So he was kind of Houdini's boots on the ground while Houdini wasn't in the country. So his name was Forbeer Dalba. Is that right? This is a yeah, French word. And I can't that's not bad. But yeah. 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 It's, also, um, it's also important to note that the books that have been put out uh, by Crawford had been almost like torn apart by a lot of people yeah, saying that his yeah. methods weren't very scientific and I'll be, I'll be referring to the, this guy as Dalba from now on because I can't pronounce his <laughs> name but Forbeer Dalba but the funny thing about him is he came in to debunk but he actually believed in spiritualism so he didn't come in going oh look at these fucking arseholes he actually came in hoping it was real and that was kind of his angle but what he ended up finding out was exactly the opposite so this guy was the more realistic when compared to Crawford, way more realistic in his investigations. Crawford set in on 90 seances, but this guy, the Alba, are we saying? Is that what we're agreeing on yeah, here? Yeah, but D apostrophe ALB. Uh, set in on 20. So it just, it didn't take him as long to, to realize that he was trying to be conned, that they were trying to con him. But, but he came to the conclusion very, very quickly. And like on one occasion, he saw there was a levitating table, but then he saw foot holding it up. And then the more damning of the things was that he realized the, the vagina ectoplasm was literally just white cloth. Yeah. So, you know, he wrote a letter to Houdini and he just basically said, well, you wrote a few letters to Houdini, but one of the ones I have here is he just said, I must say I was greatly surprised at Crawford's blindness, which leads me to believe Crawford might have been fancied Kathleen or something. But anyway, Dalbo went on to say, during the first six sittings, I had no doubt whatever of the good faith of the circle nor of the thoroughness and accuracy of Dr. Crawford's investigations. In spite of this receptive attitude, I made no headway towards any of my objectives. The phenomena were plentiful, but the results were inconclusive and were not such as would silence criticism. So that's not great. <laughs> he, did, yeah. he didn't believe it. <laughs> that no, sounds no. like he's so downhearted that, doesn't it? He sounds really genuinely disappointed. It, it actually it actually gets more disappointing. This was another letter. I, I don't know, was this to Houdini or was this his writings? But he basically said... You know, I arrived in Belfast with a strong sense of conviction of reality with firm faith in Dr. Crawford's reliability and accuracy. I expected a gifted medium surrounded by her honest folks. But then came the blows. First, the contact photographs. Then the evidence of trickery. The sight of the medium raising a stool with her foot filled me with bitter disappointment. The simple, honest folks all turned out to be an alert, secretive, troublesome group of well-organized performers. So he was Ooh. pulling absolutely zero punches. Much like the man who punched Houdini in the belly. <laughs> Great thing. Yeah, yeah, that works. That really, that's extremely accurate, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I also have one letter that he wrote to Houdini that just says very simply, um, Dear Houdini, just received, yes, the Gollinger legend has lost its glamour. I must say I was greatly surprised at Crawford's blindness. Sincerely yours, Alba. So he went in there straight away and he realized they were obviously... Um, taking the mic. Oh, what I kind of wanted to say is that it did later emerge that like it turns out the brother-in-law 
Um, so one of the sister's husbands was actually kind of orchestrating the family a bit. So he was kind of monetizing on this. Though initially it seems like they were just doing it for, you know, like heroic reasons or whatever. There was money flowing in and there was someone controlling the flow of that money. So it was important for them to have that name. Yeah. So, but at the same time, I really wanted to say, that though they were kind of full of shit, it didn't seem like they were always trying to be full of shit. No, they, they, they did seem to be kind of genuine about it. They were nearly trying to help people. It was kind of a religion for some people or some way to give someone relief if or talk to their dead husband or son or daughter or whatever. And, and they were kind of yeah. were helping them with that. After Dalb kind of disproved them, the Gallagher's stopped taking public seances and stopped allowing people in. They still kind of did it for some people in their circle, but... No, in in, in 1922, Dalba published a book called The Gallinger Circle, which completely exposed the family. So straight away after that book was, was uh, published, Kathleen said, okay, I'm too sick. I'm not taking any more seances for at least one year. And then she gradually just completely retired altogether and just literally disappeared from public life. Yeah, I have a, there was obviously a lot of people trying to see her and like see the seances and, and disprove them almost now again. So I have a letter from Kathleen here, which is quite funny. So it's dated 11th of August, 1923. And she says, Dear Mr. Warwick, since promising you the sittings, events have taken place, which I could not have foreseen at the time, which for a medium. <laughs> oh, she didn't see that coming. <laughs> That's good, actually. Yeah. But yeah, then she just says, basically, we're very busy. We're going on holidays. She actually gave like three or four excuses, like, we've moved. Uh, we're not on the Ormore Road anymore. Um, we're, we won't have a space for seance and I'm going on holidays. And I don't think I'll be able to do it. She gave like four excuses. My dog ate my homework. And... <laughs> dog ate my clairvoyance. Yeah. <laughs> My ectoplasm. The, the, the funny thing is, like, so around 1922 was when the book was published. So that, that, in theory, was the end of it. But coincidentally, in the next couple of weeks, psychic, no. In the next couple of weeks, there's an author called AJ West, a British guy, who's pushing out a book all about this. It's really interesting. Um, and, you know, we're, we're all very excited to give it, give it a read. But he found out in that book that they were, the family actually continued to perform seances up until 1936. And they have some more photos portraying it. And the photos just look so fucking creepy. <laughs> like, they're just so bizarre looking. It's, it's really weird. But we should get back to what happened to Kathleen after she was booted out of the limelight. So Kathleen left the public eye and she actually had quite quite a pleasant life. She married this guy called Mr. Donaldson. I couldn't get his first name. But um, so she lived a good long life and she eventually passed away in 1972. But it, it's kind of funny. Um, that author I mentioned earlier, like he actually met up with the granddaughter and the granddaughter had no idea that her grandmother was a medium and there was just one day she, there, she was looking at a local newsletter and she saw a picture of a woman she was like that looks like my granny and she went to her mother and she's like is that is that grand grand and I was like yeah yeah she used to be a very famous psychic medium and she really wanted to ask her grandmother about this but at the time Kathleen was sick with breast cancer so the mother just said let's let sleeping yeah. dogs lie let's say nothing about it so yeah she she passed away in 1972 and that was kind of the end of her it was interesting that her granddaughter was was trying to betray her in a way that she, she wasn't the type of woman to try and con people out of money and she would never see it as that way. So she was trying to say that if Kathleen was doing this, she actually believed that she was able to talk to spirits and it wasn't, it, there was yeah. no, um, there was no badness behind it. But it's hard, it's hard though, when like your sister or father is like pulling cloth out of your clothes to trick people to, into it being ectoplasm. 
you know, like it, it's, yeah. it's, 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 it gets hard to understandable. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's hard. It's hard to defend, but at the same time, well, no, I kind of want to defend it, but it is hard to defend. Yeah. yeah. But she did, she did find photos in, so she was looking through like a, a box of photos and she saw ones that were in an envelope and they had pictures of these. The seances. Yeah. The seances. And they were, when she asked questions about it, they're like, ah, oh, never mind. Just, just don't, don't, don't ask questions about them. Yes. And it's so strange. So yeah. yeah, it does seem like they, they continued performing until 1936, but they also did like some private shows. So if you're trying to like trick people, why would you do a private seance? That's, that's one thing I find, I find most perplexing. Yeah. I mean, it's one of those things. It's like, I feel like a lot of kind of religious kind of spiritual things will do this. Mm. You know, you can show something like that, that, that might get more believers in. And if you get more believers in, or not even more believers in, but if like you can do your own things where they could channel voices from another world. But yeah. then if you're doing a pub, like a seance for people, a floating table is a lot more impressive, like a visual thing. You Vagina know? ectoplasm. Vagina. Cosmic rod. Yeah. That was actually one of the things that they were saying. They were, so maybe they were, they were actually able to speak to the dead, but because it was, it needed to go public, they were like, well, nobody's going to think that's amazing that she knew my uncle was named Frank. But yeah. so they had to have tables. Sex it up a bit. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. They need to have floating tables oh, and men that, flying to the room and stuff. That'd like be that. a, that'd be a lovely hour movie where it turns out you literally can speak to the dead but it's not interesting enough that the dead are just too boring. So she's like, oh, fuck. Okay. So he's back from the dead, but it's not going to, it's not sexy enough. Let's just like have a few tables flying around just to sell it. Like, which is, yeah, <laughs> it's just bizarre. But yeah, I don't really know what to make of the life of her. I just know it was a really fascinating, interesting life. And I love the idea of existing during a time where all of this stuff seemed possible. That's what makes her really excited, which is why I find it really funny that the occult websites will kind of defend and be like, oh, well, those pictures were staged to look deliberately fake. <laughs> like, like yeah. I find that fascinating. And she failed because she was under so much pressure. That's why she couldn't reproduce it. Yeah, the think, ectoplasm yeah. out. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> My vagina ectoplasm is grabbing a trumpet. Like, yeah, yeah. So that brings us to the end of the story of Kathleen Gallagher. Um, I found it just so interesting to research this. I went down a huge rabbit hole on seances and Houdini and just all things magic. Um, I don't know. What do you guys think? I really enjoyed it. Uh, big, big props to RTE Radio 1 because I literally heard this on the radio about two days ago and I was like, guys, I don't know if we can make this pure out of Ireland, but it's a story that would really, really do well if it was told. Just because it's so fascinating. It's so interesting. Yeah, just I love when the story brings in like huge people from yeah history. Yeah. Like and a, this is an Irish Arthur woman from Conan Belfast. Yeah. yeah, exactly. It's just I don't know. It's really cool, and it just gives you a snapshot of what life was like in nineteen nineteen fourteen or whatever. So during World yeah. War One, and yeah, there's all that kind of in the background as well. I find that without getting too kind of haughty, you're all serious about it, but like the idea of losing millions and millions of people to World War One. And people turning to the paranormal to just any bit of hope that they can mm. hang on to talking to their loved ones. Like it's, even though we were kind of taking the piss for most of this episode, that's sad. And that hope was probably a reason. Now, again, sorry, this this stuff existed in the 1850s. So it was way before World War One, But it, it still does kind of tie in, I think. Yeah. That sense of, um, I mean, it's, it's industrial, like revolution, kind of later, well, later than industrial revolution, but like, Proper industrialism is really getting going. Belfast is a super industrial city. Like you said, you've got World War One, you've got all the lockouts happening like all over Europe. 
especially like Belfast, Dublin, like Glasgow, Manchester, all had really big lockouts around this time as well. So it's a really uncertain time. And to be able to have the certainty of they are telling us what the afterlife is, it has to be so calming. Like Anyway, that's it from us, folks. I hope you enjoyed the episode as much as we enjoyed this one, because as I hope you can tell, we really enjoyed this one. As much as Ushin enjoys saying Cosmic Rod. I also was drinking heavily on this episode. <laughs> <Am I joking>? <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. You can check us out over at patreon.com forward slash out of Ireland. No, um, I can send you a pic of my, what I did in my van today. Yeah, I just sent you a pic of what I did in the van today. Yeah, have a look at it. What do you think of my van? You like, do, why did you look at my van? Look at it. I looked at the fucking van. I look at it again. Jesus Christ. It's got a, Connor. It's got a curtain. That's very nice. It's got a curtain.